Working Cows Podcast, Episode 66. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. This is Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast, brought to you by the Global Ag Network, and a happy new year to you. Looking down the barrel of a new year, and I'm really excited about some of the things to come, but we'll talk about that later. First of all, I want to let you know that today we are talking with Tim Goodnight of Ferro Cattle Company. We had Kit Farrow on to talk about his Game Changer blog. That will be linked in the show notes page for today at workingcows.net slash 66. A couple times throughout the episode I go to mention the show notes page, but we had recorded this earlier before I knew that there was a deadline on last week's episode with Sarah Wenzel Fisher and Sam Ryerson for the uh, New Agrarian's apprenticeship program through the Kavira Coalition. So I did end up jumping the gun and releasing that one earlier. And so that changed the order of these. So this is episode 66 of the Working Cows podcast, workingcows.net slash 66 for the show notes page. Looking forward to talking to Tim today about some of the logistics of finishing these calves on grass and planted forages in Texas with cactus feeders, uh, following up on the results of what we started with Kit Farrow. Uh, in his episode about the Game Changer blog that he posted, which will also be linked at the workingcows.net slash 66 show notes page. We're going to talk to Tim today about some of the logistics and how that process went and the results and some of the pr- preliminary things that they've uh, discerned about these cattle and the quality of cattle that they are. So, Tim, thanks for joining me today on the Working Cows podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on and giving us an opportunity to tell a story about what we've been involved with this past year so we had kit on uh when he was getting ready to or when the steers were first sent down to cactus feeders in Mm -hmm. texas Uh, but basically what it was is you guys are using Faro cattle company genetics to uh, capture some more value for producers who are using those genetics uh, to grass finish some steers in texas is that about right Yeah, that's correct. Um, You know, basically how this started, and I won't get into a lengthy discussion. They can check out that blog, but uh, you're absolutely right. In January, Cactus Feeders had reached out to uh, PCC uh, indicating that Tyson Foods had an interest in putting together a domestic grass-fed program. Um, And because of the the time that the folks at Cactus Feeders had uh, followed Kit, knew that, you know, the moderate framed, easy fleshing, low maintenance type cattle that are the backbone of, of the PCC genetics was what it was going to take to, to finish on forages alone. And so we elected to go down that path. We spent a couple months visiting about how we were going to set this program up or this trial run. Um, up and we have basically converted some center pivots that they had available um, that they traditionally do corn and silage for their feed yard, thought they'd transition it over into a, a cover crop mixture and that we would go about finishing some yearlings over the course of the, the spring through the fall. 
on those center pivots. And so that's really how it had got started. And it was an exciting summer. We saw quite a few um, reasons to be excited. We saw the, the anecdotal evidence and some of the, just the visual performance as well as some of the other weight game performances on the cattle. And that, that excitement ultimately led to cactus feeders moving forward and purchasing an additional 2,000 head uh, that was announced back in, in June, July. And the majority of those cattle have been delivered here over uh, November and December. So things are really progressing and they're excited with what they've seen so far. And so can you tell me about the finishing process? Uh, there was not just Faro Cattle Company steers on this on these irrigated circles. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we we had 120 uh, feral cattle genetics, um, and then there were some other competing genetics that are are kind of typical feed yard cattle. Um, some cattle that do perform very well in the feed yard, great conversions at at five two, uh, gain around four pounds a day. Um, that were also placed in there. Um, some other competing genetics, the Akushi brand, etc. So there were some other cattle that were placed in with the PCC genetics. And can you tell me a little bit about the actual process of the finishing? Well, what was the infrastructure that was required? Uh, how? What mm-hmm. was the, the cover crop mix and some of the forage that they were grazing mm-hmm. on and some of those things? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, we took center pivots and we did plant them to a, a diverse cover crop species. Um, they were planted annuals. We did use annuals um and really looked at the the time of the year the season and so initially when the when the cattle arrived in late may um they were introduced to a uh, springtime cool season mix that was planted in april um that was predominantly a triticale mix it had some some peas in that mix as well and some rapeseed and and uh, a couple other brassicas and forbs in there just to try to make a uh a diverse mix of possible as possible. We and, and the the reason for that is is when we initially looked at these pivots, we did take soil tests, and one of the things that we learned was that the soil organic matter was at one point six one point seven percent, and so we knew we were going to uh, need to put a diverse mix, inoculate the seed with a mycorrhizal fungi. In order to connect to those root systems, translocate plant nutrients between plant species, and ultimately in hopes that that would enhance cattle performance. And I think that it did. Um, and then from that springtime mix, we moved into a, a BMR dwarf sorghum sedan, uh, some pearl millet. Um, that was the two probably predominant seeding rates within that, but also, again, some some legumes, some clovers, um, some forbs and brassicas were also in that mix. And then ultimately in the fall, we rotated them onto a cereal rye, annual rye, winter barley, oats, and peas type of a mix. Again, trying to uh, constantly monitor the, the forage nutrition. We used Servitec out of Amarillo to send forage samples down to get the crude protein, to get the TDN levels. Um, monitor the acid detergent fiber and neutral detergent fiber within the plant species. We also used refractometers to measure BRICS levels or the soluble sugars in the plant. So that's that's a number of the species and how we monitored those species. 
In terms of the infrastructure, the, the paddocks were set up in about seven to eight acre paddocks. And this gave us a stock density of about 13 to 14,000 pounds an acre. We were moving the cattle daily in the afternoon when the carbohydrate levels are the highest in the plants. So, you know, we were trying to do everything that we could, um, you know, knowing that on this initial trial and where the soil health was, et cetera, that, hey, let's, let's do what we can to, to, to give these cattle the best opportunity to perform on these forages. And, um, and ultimately, that's what, that's what was able to take place. So how much of a role does soil health and organic matter play in the actual punch of the of the uh forages that they're grazing on what how does that translate into quality forage Yeah it's a huge factor um you know the the soil organic matter is going to have a direct correlation between plant's bricks levels and that's a soluble sugar that you can take from the the plant translate it onto a refractometer and it will tell you the percent bricks or the percent BX. And the lower the soil organic matter, the lower the uh, sugars in the plant sat. And so as we, we moved along and again, we, we took these soil tests and, and, and we, we monitored these bricks levels, we were able to actually track how the bricks levels increased on this ground, even in a short period of time, as the soil organic matter increased in the soils. And so, um, you know, as I said, we started at a 1.6% soil organic matter. We finished at about a 2.4% soil organic matter. And the bricks went from a, a measly, you know, 6, 7, and that is really poor when you start to think about what these plants are capable of. Um, and they did get into you know, the 12, 13, 14 range towards the end of it. Um, there's some really great resources out there and some folks that have done it really well. Uh, Dr. Alan Williams has got some, some great charts out there that show what BRICS levels are possible within plant species and the corresponding soil organic matters that, that you really need to, to accomplish that. So, um, you know, we've relied on, on quite a bit of that, but that's the long answer to say soil Soil health does play a, a big role in, in animal performance um, along with genetics. And how are you guys testing the forages? You mentioned that you were sending these forages off for test. How are you gathering those forages for testing? Um, I mean, maybe mm -hmm. maybe with the stock density that you're running, it isn't as much of an issue because there isn't a lot of selectivity of grazing, so you can just grab a bunch and, and send it out? Or how, how are you guys trying to get an accurate read on what they were yeah. actually taking in? Yeah. No, that's a great question. We we were also, at the same time we were doing that, monitoring dry matter production. And so we would use a, a range hoop um, and, and cast that on the ground and basically from there clip that entire, um, that entire mix and dry it down. But at the same time we were doing that, we would uh, take all of the species and clip the top third because essentially based on our stock densities and what they were consuming, uh, we would then bag that and send that to um, Servitech. And they would take a number of different samples and, and that seems to be what had worked. The, the 
the actual forage analysis showed that we were able to pretty well stay in the low 70s in terms of TDN. And we, we tried to monitor the TDN to crude protein ratio. We wanted to keep that crude protein below 20 and preferably below 18 and um, the TDNs in the, in the low 70s. And so we were able to do that. And once we started to get outside of that area, um, we would elect to move to, to different planted forages. Uh, we found that right around mid-maturity or, or just after mid-maturity was kind of the sweet spot for us, um, right around that boot stage to, to graze. And um, we were able to get through the, these pastures or these, these planted annuals in about 26 days. And so it sounds like the timing of the grazing is a big part of it. And so I'm guessing that there was uh, a staggered planting or a staggered maturity plan on these plants so that you were able to graze them at the right time consistently day after day, week after week. Yeah, and that was the goal. And, and that, again, that was the goal, but we were dealing with Mother Nature. When we would go into a, a, a new pasture, if you want to call it, or a new mix, um, we knew we'd have about 60 days of grazing. And when we would go into those, we would then plant the next, say, 100 or 130 acres to whether it was the warm season mix or the fall mix. And so we could then monitor both the acres that we were grazing, their, their bricks levels as well as their forage, and then also the, the new, say, 130 acres Where's the performance on that forage? Where are the bricks levels on that on those forages? And from there, make the decisions when when to move off, or in addition, if we needed to give it additional time. So yes, it was a it, they they monitored it daily, and I I've got to give Cactus a lot of credit. They they've got a great team and took this seriously, and uh, you know, it did a fantastic job with monitoring the forages. Let's talk about animal performance. Uh, that's kind of the point of all of this, I, I'm guessing, at, at least in my mind it would be. Uh, what did that's you cool. guys end up uh, seeing as far as the performance of the the ferrogenetics and then also the ferrogenetics as, com- as compared to the other genetics on the same fields? Yeah, that's exactly what this was all about from the get-go. And we're still um, getting data in. But the initial data that we did get back was that of the 120 steers that we had on test, 57% graded choice, 68 of the 120. And everyone was extremely thrilled when they learned that. There were, there were some skeptics early on that were under the impression that you may not even be able to grade choice on a 100% forage-based diet, let alone a high percentage choice. And I think in the, the traditional sense of the industry, they would say, well, we're able to accomplish 80, 85, 90% choice. And they're absolutely correct. I think what makes these results so amazing is the fact that without terminally sorting these 120 head, we spent an entire calf crop on the same day and still had 57% great choice. And so the goal moving forward and with the several thousand heads that we do have is to terminally sort as we go through this process. And ultimately, we feel like we should be able to hit that 80, at least 80 plus percent choice per load that's sent to the packer. 
And I think that everyone involved from Tyson to Cactus to, to Farrell Cattle Company, now that we're through with this test, um, believes that, that that can be the case. As far as the competing genetics, I do not know at this point how they've, they've performed. I know Texas Tech is doing some additional carcass, uh, I guess, performance evaluations and some sensory tests. We're still waiting on some pictures and some things like that. I know we had to delay the interview to, to even get some of the information we do have, but um, I don't know on all of them yet how the cactus cattle performed or the Akushi cattle. Were they all taken on the same day, uh, the Faro cattle and the cactus cattle and the Akushi cattle? They were all taken on the same day? Yeah, they were all, as far as, I'm, as, far as my understanding, they did uh, all slaughter in Amarillo on the 13th of December. And what was their weight going in? The Across the board, everyone going into the feeding trial weighed right at between 750 and 770. I want to say that our steers were right at 764 all in, and they were all long yearlings, uh, spring-born. So they're all the same age, same weight. Um, and then and then coming off, there were some varying weights, the I believe the Akushi cattle were the lightest. I think coming off, they, they'd mentioned they averaged 1030. Um, the, the competing black Angus calves were, I want to say right at 1100. And then I want to say over the entire 120, the TCC steers were at 1150. So there were some staggering weights, um, off, off test as well. And, how long were they in? They arrived May 25th in Cactus, and they were slaughtered on December 13th, so um, about six months. Do you know the conversion on that? How much per day and all that? I want to say, uh, and, that, and the weights that I had given you were on a 4% shrink value, but I believe, and I, I have not calculated that, but I, I believe it's right around 2.3 to 2.4 pounds a day um, on gain is where, is where they, they ended up. So one of the questions that comes to my mind is the economics of this uh, with uh, infrastructure, the cover crop mix, um, the moving every day, which I know that's basically once once they get trained to that, they're waiting to be moved when it's time. But uh, some of those yeah. things, can you can you talk a little bit about that and how this looks going forward as far as uh, is the is the market premium uh, worth the uh, extra investment of cover crops and grazing uh, irrigated circles as opposed to putting up corn for silage and those things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I... We've looked long and hard at that, and I guess the economics of the, the setup we have and why it's positive is Cactus does have farmland and these center pivots allocated at each one of their feed yards. And so if they feel that their net profit per acre can be greater producing beef than corn, and it seems that they feel that way, that's that's the transition that they're electing to make. Um, as far as as far as the moving each day, um, as you mentioned, basically we were moving at about one one thirty in the afternoon, and they knew after about a week that they were going to be moved and and were excited to go. So that that was relatively easy. Um, the same thing is taking place with even 
additional numbers with the calves that we're seeing uh, that have been delivered November and December. They're they're ready to move, and they've actually commented on just how calm the, the calves and the cattle are compared to really what they might see on the other side of the industry on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, to get down to it, it, it really looks like it's about a buck a pound um, once once we figured everything all in. And so, you know, if, if we are going to be taking, say, long yearlings in that 750-pound range, and the goal moving forward again on, on a terminal sort system is to get them around at 12 and a quarter, 1,250 pounds, um, then we're going to need to put on about 500 pounds. Um, that's probably going to be $500. But when you take a look at where the premiums are at for that sector, the money really is there. And, and I think that's what's been exciting about this is that outside of anything else, it is really retail driven. I mean, I don't believe that any of the companies involved or those that are getting involved like JBS and some of the others are, are doing it because they feel that it's positive for animal welfare or to human health. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with just the sheer profitability and growth that that grass-fed sector is seeing right now. So the economics of it really do, across the board, look like they work. Um, I know it's it's early on, and I think at this point, in terms of d- domestic production, the grass-fed sector is only, I guess, 9 or 10% of, of the total beef consumption here domestically. I know a lot of folks think that that's going to grow to 20-plus percent in the next 5 to 10 years, and if that's the case, then I, I suspect we'll continue to see some increased demand, some increased premiums, and, and the margins should stay healthy. What about, um, well, is, let me, let me phrase this question this way. Is this something that is going to be limited to, uh, Texas or cactus feeders? Or, uh, I mean, is this something that only works in a temperate environment or is it something that you can use, uh, in farther northern, uh, places and, and some of those things? Are these strategies that you could employ there or maybe to say it more bluntly, what could we do to, uh, finish cows on or finish steers on grass in other climates uh, that aren't maybe as mild as Texas and how do we how do we do that and I know there are people doing it I've had him on the podcast uh, Tim Hoven yeah. uh, I've talked to him mm-hmm. he's grass finishing steers in Kansas it's taken quite a bit longer yep. or not in Kansas sorry in Canada but it's taken quite a bit longer but what are what are some of those things that you're you're seeing and and how are, how is that something that we could use moving forward well the, to answer the question, absolutely, you can do this wherever. And, I, and the two that come to my mind that are doing it probably better than anyone are in the southeast and in North Dakota. Um, and so those are those are two wildly different environments, even than what we're what we're uh, experiencing. And I think that matching forages, focusing on genetics and soil health, regardless of where you're at in the United States, you can be successful in grass finishing. And frankly. As you increase both your your soil health and hone in on the proper genetics, um, I think that that cost of production or cost of gain can even come down from what we're experiencing now. And so I think all of that coupled with the premiums that consumers are willing to pay for the product it is exciting for the future of that sector. But to answer the question, absolutely, we're, we're, wherever anyone 
would like to do it, there is a way. And there are plenty of folks out there doing it all over the United States. Um, and as I mentioned, both the southeast, hot, humid climate, um, plenty of rainfall, all kinds of challenges there. And then as far north as North Dakota, and we know, you know, we know the, the cold, uh, semi-arid climate there as well. And they're able to, to really do some fantastic things. So absolutely. Yeah, I'm assuming you're talking about Gabe Brown, and he's my next guest, actually, on on the Working Cows podcast. And he actually said, and I'll give you a little preview, spoiler alert here for the the upcoming episode, he actually said that as they have started to stack enterprises on this land, that they're shrinking their land base, that they're using less ground because of the stacked enterprises and the diversity and the uh, increased fertility and all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's definitely possible wherever you go. Um, Do you have any idea of different strategies that might, might it might take or, or any thoughts on that? Yeah, my first thought is, you know, any anytime Gabe Brown or Paul are speaking, you know, you, you want to listen because they're absolute leaders in, in what they're doing. Um, I try to follow just about everything he is doing uh, and, and a couple others. He's absolutely a leader um, in, in this sector of the industry, but they've done some some fantastic things in terms of, like you said, diversifying their enterprises and and really focusing on total profit per acre. And it's neat when he breaks down, whether it be uh, cattle or, or laying hens or their chicken enterprise, whatever it may be, just how they can absolutely increase the soil health, but also the, the profit per acre. And so, you know, he's he's fantastic. I absolutely do try to follow Gabe. You know, between the genetics and the soil health, ultimately that's that's really what it takes. It comes down to management, and I, I think that's that's the key to success. Absolutely. There's he had some other things to say in that episode about uh, the profitability of the different enterprises that they're stacking and i'm not going to spoil the whole episode by giving you that you'll just have to tune in next week for (laughs) gabe brown but uh anyways what about going forward you mentioned that you've already sent 2000 down there uh they are grazing at a different time of year uh does that affect the uh the strategy at all or is it is it just enough of a different climate that they can get by year round uh with there isn't necessarily a dormant season if you're on an irrigated circle or how does that look yeah, you know, and you, and you say Texas and you think that there wouldn't be a dormant season. However, these 2,000 head have been delivered to Stratford, Texas, there in North Texas. It does get very cold and freeze, and we do have the potential for snowstorms. Um, what we sent down was essentially 450 to 550-pound steer calves. Um, these calves originated from... Uh, several different states, Oregon and California to South Dakota, Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado. Uh, we worked with PCC customers all over the U.S. to put this together. Um, quality more so than location was, was the key in our selection decisions. Um, because they, they are so, well, they're lightweight cattle. They're not in the finishing stages. And so what we elected to do was in late summer, early fall, plant around a thousand acres of, of winter stockpile. And that's what we're grazing through the winter. Uh, we plan on sorting these cattle in the springtime and running them in probably three different groups, kind of the top end, the heavy end, and then our, our average middle cattle, and then our 
our bottom end and just run them through in three different groups and try to time or do a better job of timing um, the cattle finishing dates with, with terminal sorting there out within those three groups. And so that's, that's where we're headed on these initial 2000. Um, we look like we're going to be circling back together in early January and begin to discuss the springtime needs and what kind of delivery we will, we'll be seeing there in the springtime. Um, a lot of that's going to have to do with cactus transitioning, some of their pivots, what they can get planted here, um, and go from there. You know, with, with the springtime cattle, it'll probably be a dormant planted um, mix that would predominantly be, say, an Italian ryegrass, oats, and peas, and uh, give us the opportunity to get in there maybe in, in May. And so we'll see, but that's, that's what we're visiting about now. But it's, it is exciting to announce that it's moving forward and, um, and looking forward to, to getting with them, visiting about what we'll need to get delivered in the spring. And what do you see? Uh, do you have any anticipations or can you make any predictions about uh, this moving forward? Is this going to scale up fully uh, or is it going to – are there more baby steps in between now and, and the full scale up? And then the other thing, just to clarify, uh, I think – Originally, you guys were taking cattle that were 75% feral cattle genetics. Is that correct? That's correct. And a lot of that has to do with some of the um, DNA testing, some of the carcass testing that we're doing, and being able to trace that back to sire groups. Um, and, and we really want to have a better handle on that. And I think getting away from those genetics is going to make it difficult for us to use some of the DNA that we've been collecting. Um, and so we are at 75% PCC genetics. Um, in terms of where we see this going, I think a lot of it will really hinge on cactus's ability to ramp up their infrastructure. Um, and as you can imagine, it's been a steep learning curve for them as well. And they've done a fantastic job. They've got a great team in place, and they're excited about the prospects of, of where this is headed. Um, however, we are operating under the assumption that it's about a one-to-one -one ratio, you know, one, one steer per one acre in the finishing process. And so at this point, I will say we've got about 6,000 acres planted. Um, and so that would point to the ability to, to finish around 6,000 head. Um, you know, they've got several feed yards. They've got the capacity to feed. I believe at any one time, 540,000 head at multiple yards. So do I see this taking place at one specific location? Uh, no, I, I could see this taking place at several feed yards in Texas or Kansas or wherever that may be, where they would convert two, three, four thousand acres of the pivots that they have uh, associated with those feed yards into grass-fed beef production. And so I think that's what they're working through. We've, we've been in the process of working with customers, collecting surveys, seeing what their availability is, researching the bulls that they've purchased, how long they've purchased the bulls, uh, or excuse me, been purchasing bulls with PCC, and then ultimately discuss probably more than anything the cow phenotype um, because you could use a, a fantastic bull, but if you've got a seven frame 1500 pound cow that progeny is just not going to be able to finish at uh 
20 to 24 months at a hundred percent of the dam's weight. And so, um, you know, we, we've got to take all that into consideration and it's been easy with only needing 2000 head. But if we jump here in a year or two to 10,000 head, um, there'll be some more systems that will need to be put in place. Can you, I, I just really enjoy talking about cows and phenotype and, uh, the, yeah. the, the frame and the the type of cow that lends herself to fitting into a system like this well so and i, I want to give you an opportunity to brag about Faro cattle company and their genetics if you want so would you just talk a little bit about that and what you guys have seen as uh cows that are a good fit for this kind of a system yeah no doubt about it well you know we've targeted that that three to four frame cow which is that 48 to 50 inch hip height cow that is going to you know, run at a thousand, eleven hundred, eleven hundred and fifty pounds. Um, in early maturing genetics that are easy fleshing, you know, will produce calves for you with, you know, little to no inputs. And that's really what has been the backbone to the, to the PCC genetics. And so, you know, when we look at these calves that are out there and everyone at Cactus that has seen them has really commented on the quality and just the depth of, of body and their aggressiveness in, in terms of foraging ability, I think is really what it takes to perform well on, on forages. You know, so much of the industry has moved towards carcass traits and growth traits that you, you really begin to inadvertently select for taller, leaner cattle, uh, which is fine in certain environments. But what we are looking for is an animal that can go out and graze even a higher percentage of its relative body weight in these forages. All of that translates into body condition. And whether you are a cow-calf producer, that body condition means fertility. Or if you are a grass finisher, that's fat deposition and, and finishing quality. And so I think for us, that has been the most exciting part is that I can't think of another program that aligns what it takes to be profitable on the cow-calf side of the industry and and the fact that it's the exact same thing we're looking for on the grass finishing side um and so we've seen that both anecdotally we've seen it through dna and we're again this this project is in its infancy but it looks it looks very promising and so we're excited about that Tim, I really appreciate your time today. It's very exciting stuff. Uh, one thing that came to my mind while you were talking there is that Johann Zietzman, I don't remember if he said it on the podcast or somewhere else, but he said that basically over the last number of years, we have gone to producing cattle adapted to the feedlot rather than cattle adapted to the range. And I think that kind of fits with what you're saying. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's a, he's another fantastic expert to, to follow. And, um, he's absolutely right. And that, uh, that aggressiveness and foraging and that early maturing, um, low maintenance, easy fleshing type, type phenotype that we, we visited about is exactly what it's going to take to perform on the range. And if they can perform on the range and you put them in front of these planted annuals and these forages, they explode. And so that's what's exciting. And, um, we've been able to get into this program and not deviate from any principles that, uh, PCC has worked towards over the past 30 years. And uh, if anything, I think we're uh, can only improve the the uh, the folks that we work with and their their ranch's profitability on both ends so with the premium as well as the efficiency of these genetics. So we're excited. 
sounds like what you're talking about is a validation of what you guys have been saying for 30 years. Is that right? Yeah, and it is. And, and um, I think that's not that we, you know, I don't think that, that the PCC program over 30 years has been able to sell 900 to 1,000 bulls year after year because customers are unhappy. You know, they see it, but it's neat to have data and neat to have maybe some of the mainstream folks see that there there is some validation in the genetics and, and what it takes to, to really perform year after year without inputs. And that's the key. Um, you could make any phenotype of a cow 100% calving rate, but what are those inputs going to be? And, um, you know, when it comes down to profitability here, we just don't need those inputs to have these cattle breed and breed back. So, uh, and that's what I mean by being profitable on both sides. Little inputs and a premium on the back end sure sets these customers up for success long term. And ultimately what we're doing in this in this industry is meeting the market demand. And so there's still a percentage of the market demand that demands feedlot-fed cattle. And there's a, a percentage of the industry that is demanding uh, grass-finished cattle. And we just want to mm-hmm. all work together uh, to m- meet those demands as efficiently and effectively as we can. Yep, 100%. 100%. It's absolutely not one against the other. Um, I enjoy feedlot beef and I enjoy grass fed beef. Um, and so I, I agree a hundred percent for our end. I don't think that Kit ever set out to say, Hey, this is about grass fed because frankly, we will probably end up having some of these PCC genetics in the feed yard. And everyone we've talked to at Cactus has looked at them and said, these will perform just as well in the feed yard. So, um, you know, we, we know they work in both environments. It just so happens that if you're going to be finishing on forages and grasses alone, um, you know, there is that there is that specialty phenotype that it's going to take to to really produce a high quality grade. Very good stuff, Tim. Thank you for your time today. Uh, appreciate your taking time to sit down with me and I look forward to continuing to document this process. You bet, Clay. We appreciate it very much. As I mentioned, next week, episode 67 of the Working Cows podcast with Gabe Brown talking about his new book, Dirt to Soil, One Family's Journey into Regenerative Agriculture. Some really great nuggets there. I hope you really uh, are amped up about tuning in, and I really look forward to uh, this start to the new year, kind of following last year's pattern. I'm going to try and release some episodes with some national and internationally known guests. Uh, Canada counts as international, right? Uh, Hint, Canada counts as international, right? So yeah, we're looking forward to some episodes coming up uh, at the beginning of this year with some great guests, and I I look forward to releasing them real soon. So uh, episode 67 next week, Gabe Brown of the Working Cows podcast. Tune in. We'll see you then. We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.